Good morning, Harvest, and uh, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If, if you're uh, new or not used to bringing your Bible to church, I want to encourage you to get used to doing that, but we've got some Bibles there around. We need a few more to fill up the 139 Bible holders or whatever we call them um, there, but uh, you're welcome to grab. We're on page 983 in one of those Bibles there. Today we're finishing out chapter 1. There's four chapters in Colossians. That means we're 25% of the way through. Uh, just one note I want to make, uh, kind of as we get started here. Before starting this series, I had talked with a couple of my other pastor friends, uh, some friends from pastor friends from Harvest and some who are outside of Harvest as they've preached through the book of Colossians. And one of the things I asked of them was, tell me, what uh, if you could go back and re-go through that book, what would you do? And uh, two out of the three guys that I know of, uh, remember talking to, said they wish they would have gone a little slower through chapter one. And when I had originally laid out this chapter, I had laid it out where we were going to kind of zip through it in about three weeks, and I think we're either on five or something like that in this series. And so I slowed down for a couple, and I'll just say I'm really glad I did. Um, I'm grateful for their wisdom and their experience in having done that. Chapter 1 has been quite an impact of a chapter on me and my life, and I hope on you and this church as we've been digging in. Um, And just kind of while we're a bit behind the curtain, I'll just say right up front, this text that we're in today, verses 24 through 29, um, it kind of came out in last service, just when I'm talking through. I'm just going to start out with it. This text has really done work on me. Uh, it has uh, just been good for me this week. And so I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be preaching a little bit different today. I usually try and kind of walk through as the text is flowing. But in this one, I may jump around a little bit within it if you see that happening because I have spent so much time on this. Verses 24 to 29 is one sentence in the Greek and trying to grab a hold of it, get it all, and... um, I'm just going to kind of talk to myself, <laughs> uh, just totally being transparent with you today. Uh, just what I'm going to be sharing with you, what the Lord's put on my heart, what I've needed to hear from him this week. Um, so welcome. Enter in. And if you're new here, you're probably freaked right now. Um, but I'll just say, again, I'm being very transparent here. These last six weeks have been some of the hardest six weeks for me in the last six years. Um, Just God is doing something in my own heart and my own mind. And it it makes it even harder when you know something's happening and uh, in your ministry and what you're doing and what's taking place. And it's so marvelous. I mean, this and people coming and God working and people feeling so loved by so many people and yet there's this heaviness, this weight and that's going on, been wrestling through and trying to figure out and then you come to a passage like we're about to enter in and Paul talks about him doing ministry and uh, I needed this this week. So I'm going to pray that uh, it will be a text for all of us Because hear me on this, this text is not just about professional ministry, vocational people. This is a text for all followers of Christ. And so I invite you in with me on this one today, okay? Let me read it and then let's pray and let's dive. Here we go. Verse 24, Colossians chapter 1. Actually, let me start verse 23. Uh, Last few words. And of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's the end of the sentence. If you've remembered so far, at the end of every one of his sentences, these long sentences, he tells you kind of what's going to be the next sentence about. Paul in ministry. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that is given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ 
in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone and doing that with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Lord God, as we uh, enter into this text today, I just pray that you would be the one that is resoundingly here today. Not me, just you. Lord, as followers of Christ, we have the opportunity to be servants of you. That in itself is a stunning reality. And as we're going to see here, it also includes some other realities to that. I just pray you would soften us, build us, unite us, and crank us up for your glory. More of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Kind of divided this up into two sections, the demands of ministry and the doing of ministry. Let's start with the demands of ministry. And I've got here four demands of ministry. And the first one of those is ministry demands choosing to do it. Ministry demands choosing to do it. To do it. Look at verse 23. I already made reference to the end of verse 23 where it says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now look over in verse 25. I think about midway, or actually the beginning of verse 25. He says, again, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now let's, let me talk about these words for a minute here. Became. Um, uh, I have the English Standard Version is what I use. Uh, the New International Version, I believe, also says became. If you have the New American Standard Version or the King James Version, it says made. Um, I really don't like the words made for this reason in what, uh, how this is translated. I understand where they're going with that, with those words. But there's a the potential for that to be read like, I was made a minister. Like, <laughs> crud. I was made a minister. I didn't have a choice in it. Okay? But that's not what Paul is really saying here. And that doesn't even fit to what, what happened in Acts chapter 9. Some weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 9 telling the story of how the Lord, Jesus Christ, shows up to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. If you remember that, if you were here. And on the road to Damascus, Paul is going there because he's wanting to grab Christians, haul them out, take them to jail, and kill them if at all possible. Because Paul, Saul at that time, was a Christ hater not a Christ lover. And so all of a sudden he's on the road, he's got some men with him, and uh, Jesus Christ, the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ, shows up, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Man, face down moment there. Um, and then the Lord tells him, get up, go into Damascus, I'm going to have some guys who are going to be spending some time talking with you. Right there, I would argue Paul, Saul, had a choice. He could have said, forget you, dude. I'm out. We see nothing in the text that was like pushing him along, that was forcing him along. In fact, he had guards who was all about what he was about, uh, kind of seeing all this thing. They were likely like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Here's my point. When we read this, we understand, and as stated here, Paul became. It was a choice. It was something that he entered into. The Lord had a call for him, if you will, but he stepped into it. I became. One of the other things that's really important here is this terminology that says a minister. The word for minister, I want to make sure you understand. Please do not professionalize that. Do not make that that the idea that it's a vocational minister, someone in vocational ministry like me or the other pastoral staff here. It's not talking just to us. 
It's talking to us. And the reason I say that is because the Greek word that is used, Paul says, I became a diakonos. A deacon, a, a servant is what it means. And in general use, any common person would use that word referring to someone that serves. Paul is really saying here, I'm not a professional minister. Paul is saying, I became a servant of. Hey, if, uh, if you come to know Christ as your savior, know this. Not only has Christ called you, to walk with him, but Christ has called you to diakonos with him, to serve him. Therefore, go, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and make disciples. Know this, that's not just for me. That's for every follower of Christ. If you've been reconciled in Christ, if you know Christ as your savior, that call is on you too. Do you know that? You're to be a part of that. And in all of this, where this is coming at is, is I think as we read Paul here, he makes a statement at the end of 23 and beginning of 25, of which I, Paul, became a minister of. And then in verse 25, I became a ministering servant, we might call it, according to the stewardship. A stewardship, it's a delegated responsibility. It's a responsibility that's been bestowed upon or commissioned upon someone. It's a designated to thing. In other words, a source or an owner has designated something to somebody else. That's a stewardship. You've been given a stewardship, and that's how Paul sees it, of which I became a, a ministering servant according to the, look at the text, verse 20. According to the stewardship, next word, from God. I would say that's a big source. Agree? Big source? God is a big source. And God is saying, in other words, Paul is saying, uh, God gave me a stewardship. That's what the text says. From God to you, given to me. And he chose to do that. I just have a question. I want for all of us to think through, and I mean this sincerely. Do you know that you have been given a call like this? You have. If you know Christ as your Savior, this is part of walking with the Lord. To be someone that is serving, to be someone that is doing of ministry. And that demands you accepting the mission. I love Mission Impossible, both the old and the new ones. You know, when they get the old ones, especially what I loved about them is, you know, they get the tape and they listen to the tape. Even I remember back in the days when I was a little kid, they were the full roll tape, not cassette tape. No, no, that's too modern. They had the full roll tape. And we used to have one of those machines and it would roll and it would talk. And, you know, hey, Jim, if you decide to take this mission, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then it, remember that? All gray-haired people? Remember that? I loved that, man. And, uh, but that was the thing. Do you choose? Do you choose? Ministry demands my choosing to do it. Secondly, one of the things that comes out of this text is something that is hard. Ministry demands knowing it is hard. It is hard. Look, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggling. Now to get some uh, understanding of Paul's struggle with ministry, turn in the left in your Bible over to Acts. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You go past Corinthians, you go past Romans, you head into Acts, Acts chapter 9. I mean, mentioned to you in Acts chapter 9 is when Christ uh, shows up out of the blue to uh, uh, have a little one-on-one time with Saul. And uh, Saul goes into Damascus. And what we're about to read in verse 16 is actually the Lord talking to Ananias a guy that the Lord is going to have connect up with Saul and tell him some information. And look how interesting this is. Verse 16. The Lord says to Ananias, tell him, uh, for I will show him, Paul, how much he must, what? 
<laughs> I, I just like how upfront is God? You know, Saul, I called you, dude, and we're not quite sure the exact amount of time, but I don't think it's a long time between this. And, and the next thing we really find out is the next thing that the Lord is going to be telling Saul, Paul, about his life call is, Saul, guess what? Suffering. Suffering. I mean, imagine today if the gospel was presented in that way. Come to the one who suffered for you on the cross for your sin. Receive him as savior. Bow your knee to the Lord. Come to him. Drive the stake in the ground. As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. And know this, suffering will follow. So often how the gospel is presented today is this way. All of that information, come to Jesus, and then everything's going to be awesome. And it's like, you're going to be good looking now, and you're going to lose weight now, and you're going to be like, no health problems. And not only that, your pocket's going to, your purse is going to be like overflowing with money. (laughs) That is not the gospel. I am not saying that the Lord does not bless. Oh, I am saying, though, there's one big thing that's left out. What the Lord told Saul right from the beginning, dude, coming to me means I've got suffering on the table for you. And look at this kind of suffering. Turn to the right over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul tells us the kind of suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I think there are times over redemptive history that God uniquely brings people to certain ministry martyrdom or whatever it might be. But but look what happens here. Verse 24, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, five times, how many times? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews. By the way, the Jews, those were his own people. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. In other words, beat, whipped to a point on the edge of death. How many times? Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. If the Apostle Paul was in this room and uh, turned around and took his shirt off, what would you see? Let's see, 39 times times five is a lot. And then with rods, ministry brings scars. And they last for a lifetime sometimes. And that's what he's talking about here. Three times I was beaten with rods. He keeps on going. Once I was stoned. They left him for dead, by the way, at that time. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger of rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship uh, through many a sleepless night. Hey, have you ever had that? Let me just say, I don't think I've had like any of those others but had that, you too? I don't know, small group leaders, parents, couples, singles, many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. Wow. And then we bring that back to Colossians chapter 1. And Paul, verse 24, my sufferings. Verse 29, for this I toil, I struggle. Hey, can, can we just all agree that Paul suffered a lot? Can we? Yeah, I think so. Friends, suffering, affliction, anguish, hurt, 
is a part of doing and serving of ministry for Christ. I wish it wasn't. I love doing the fun stuff. I love doing this. I love doing a lot of things. But then there's the other things. Ministry is exhausting. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about all of us. Ministry, serving the Lord, it is an exhausting thing. It can be heartbreaking. It's humbling. You always feel like, I stink. Ministry brings criticism. Ministry brings critique. Ministry brings being used, being burned. I'll even note one of the things I'm wrestling through personally. The bigger the ministry, the bigger the target on your back. Five times, three times, all over the Apostle Paul's back. I'm not saying that to complain. I'm just saying it's weighing. And that's the same for you. The more the Lord use you in ministry, the bigger that gets, whether that's in your small group or in the impact of that. Listen, Satan has no delight in you being able to have bigger impact. And not not only on top of that, that's part of the growing process out of it. Uh, Suffering develops maturity. D.A. Carson, a professor I had up in Trinity uh, for a number of classes, literally one of the smartest men I've ever been in a room with to where I, just, I never said a word, never. Sweet, amazing man. He tweeted this last week, just this last week. He said, the most painful things I've ever borne are betrayals by Christian friends. Ministry's hard. Some days, some weeks, some months. You just wonder, is it worth it? Can you keep doing it? No, I'm not quitting. (laughs) My wife reminds me, you cannot quit a call. And we are so loved and so blessed. But there's just a weight of doing ministry. And you know what I'm talking about in parts of that. This is not just about me. This is about us and doing ministry, working with children, sometimes with those little boogers. You're like, you just want to rapture them all out right now. (laughs) True? I remember for four years, I headed up children's ministry before being here. And I remember on some of those Sundays, having those times to where it's like, I wanted to do that if I could. And then afterwards having a third grader come up and just hug you. But it's hard. And and if you're at a place where you feel like I've been burned by people, I've been hurt by people, I've been slandered by people, 
That's not a reason to quit. Welcome to the team. If you're at a place where it's like, I just don't like doing blank. It's not a reason to go to the sidelines. Parents, if life is hard and messy. Small group leaders, if life is hard and messy and you're discouraged. Elders, pastors, with one another. It's not a reason to quit. That's part of it. And here's the interesting thing. Paul chose that. He knew from the beginning he was stepping into something that including included suffering. And he did. Friends, I'm going to say this in a loving way and I am talking to me more than anybody in this room. But I'm concerned that in this country, Christianity has raised wussies for Jesus. And that includes me. Ministry demands choosing to do it. Ministry demands knowing it's hard. By the way, just real quickly, look in verse 24. There's this statement here. I'd spend more time because it could be a fun theological discussion, but I just don't because of where I'm going with the text today. Verse 24 says, Sufferings for your sake in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Like what in the world is going on there? Well, let me just address this. Here's uh, kind of three common perspectives on what's being said. One is some refer to this as talking about purgatory. That in other words, uh, it really comes down to this. It really comes down to the idea that Christ's reconciling, redeeming work isn't enough. And when you die, you go somewhere for a while and you've got to work your way out of there. There is no way in Scripture that that is a valid reality, friends. And that's not what this text is talking about. That is an outright assault on the supreme reconciling work of Jesus Christ like it's not enough. And it is. Also, it's not saying that Jesus Christ's work on the cross was not enough. And so we in our lifetime have to work on top of it. Listen, we just went through the supremacy of Christ and the supremacy of Christ bringing supreme reconciliation. And now all of a sudden the text says that it's not enough. No, 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 no. That's heresy. The reconciling work of Christ on the cross is full, it's full, it's full, it's full. It it fully redeems, fully reconciles. By the way, it's also a third view. Is It's like uh, God has this big pot of of suffering from the beginning of redemptive history to the end of redemptive history. And that pot fills up with people suffering over time, martyrdom and all this. And Paul's referring to his suffering as part of that filling a pot up. And when it gets all the way to the top, that's when uh, Christ is going to come back again. I just don't see that in scripture. What is it talking about here? Just quickly, I think what it is talking about is, is, is Christ is the head of the church. When you and I suffer, ultimately it's not an affront on you and I, it's a front on Christ. Ultimately that when we share in the sufferings of Christ, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, I want to know him and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. There's a part of this that, that, that when we experience suffering in ministry, whether that's someone burning us or hurting us or just we're worn out or whatever that might be, that's part of even knowing what Christ went through for you and I. And when it's an outright assault, an outright attack, know this, they're ultimately not attacking you and I. It's ultimately a co- confronting attack with the truths of Jesus Christ. We are in the middle. And, and know this. If you've been burned, if you've been hurt, you are in good, 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 good company. Because so is Paul. And may I please remind you, so has Jesus Christ walking down the Via Della Rosa been mocked and burned and turned on even by his closest ones. Welcome. Welcome. I don't like that part of it. But ministry is hard and the Bible is open and honest about it. Third, ministry demands my doing it for your sake. Straight up statement. Ministry is assumed 
to include our growth and for our benefit, but ministry is not about you. My doing of ministry is not about me in this conversation that we're having right at the moment. I grow through it. The Lord like, has used this passage just dramatically in my life this week. But ultimately, ministry is not about me. Ministry is not about you for you. Notice, Paul says in verse 24, the beginning of 24, he says, For your sake. He's doing what he's doing. And by the way, Paul right at this moment is in jail under house arrest in Rome. And he's doing, been doing what he's doing for the believers in Colossae's sake. That's a local church. Look at the end of verse 24. It says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. That's the universal church overall. Every person that's ever come to Christ uh, uh, in that is a part of that. And Paul's work is for them as well. We are benefiting today because of the work of Paul in jail at his time. Then at the end of verse 25, it says, given to me for you. A second time, he's referring back to for your benefit, the Colossians benefit. So why is Paul in jail? For everyone else's sake. For everyone else's sake. Yes, the Lord's using it in his life, but for everyone else's sake. He talks about why did he suffer? He suffered for your sake, for their sake. Why is Paul writing this letter? Why is Paul doing ministry for their sake? Why did Jesus Christ come to earth and go to the cross and die on the cross? He did that for you and I. So uh, let's ask this question. Let's take it internal. Why be a pastor? Uh, for not my sake, for your sake. Okay, let's, let's make it for you. So why be a small group leader? Why be in a small group? For whose sake? For their sake. Why do that? Why serve in kids' ministries? It's hard. I was waiting for an amen. But it is. It's laboring. It's not the funnest favorite thing to do in the world. But you know what? Do it for their sake. And their parents' sake. And this church's sake. That's how the mindset is. Uh, Why make a meal or go to the hospital for somebody? For their sake. Here's another one. Why bring your Bible to church? What? But that's for my sake. No, it's not. I'm going to tell you. For me, doing what I do, when I see people have a Bible, and I'm not, if you don't, I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying, when you have a Bible open in life, you, you do not know what that means to me. That is so helpful to me. And and also Karen and I, before the ministry starting here, we would visit some churches. And one of the things we would look around is walking from the parking lot in, we watched people. How many people brought their Bible into their church? Because if it was very few, which honestly was 95% of the time, it told us something about that church. You don't have to bring your Bible there. Just even that's not only for your sake, but for others' sake. And just go on and on and on and on with that. Why serve the Lord? For their sake. Ministry demands my doing it for your sake. For their sake. For the church's sake. Number four. Ministry demands my joy. This is one the Lord really worked with me this week. End of verse 23 of which I, Paul, became a minister. He chose. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. By the way, joy is not a fake put on a happy face (laughs) and then under your breath cuss out people in God. It's not joy. Joy is not even feeling happy. Do you realize you can feel miserable and have joy? Joy is not a feeling first. Joy is a thinking thing first. In fact, there's a definition for joy. Joy is the super natural delight in the person and the plans and the people of God. Joy is a supernatural delight. Uh, Listen, you look at what Paul says here where he goes, now I rejoice in my sufferings. You got to be nuts to do that. Who loves suffering? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying I loved every beating and I love being here in jail. You know, I'd, I'd rather be here than be on the beach. Paul's not saying that. 
In the whole of it, what's happening here is there's a supernatural reality. It's a spirit of God-driven thing in the lives of people. Only people who have a different perspective and a different source on life can think like that. It's a supernatural delight, and it's a delight in the person of God. Who God is, you can delight in who God is wherever you are, whatever's happening to you. Even if you were on the flight in Malaysia, if it landed and you happen to be still alive and it's like real lost on TV, you can still have joy because you know the person of God. And on top of that, you know the plans of God. God is going to bring it all back around. God's going to bring it all together. Revelation chapter 21. No more tears, no more crying. But even until then, God is sovereign through the whole process. And we can have joy in the people of God. Oh, I got to tell you, it has been joy, 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 joy. I sound like a little boy at Christmas. Joy here over these last months and the last year to see what God has done from among the people here. And even since this building went up to have so many new people, we, we just want, we are so humbled and so joyful that God could use people like us to bring other people before the Lord. Right? Joy. Joy is something you choose. I love the fact, and in the original language it is, Paul says, now I rejoice. Now. It's kind of like this conscious effort, like crud. But now I rejoice. Now I rejoice. I choose to rejoice. Ministry demands that. Ministry is about choosing to do it. It's a choice. It's, it's a Lord, a stewardship thing from you. I'm going to do it. And I enter it knowing it is hard. And I enter it knowing it's for others' sake. And yet in it, I know the Lord's going to work in my life. And in all of that, I'm going to choose joy. Proud people don't know joy. Selfish people don't know joy. People that run from trials and conflict ultimately don't know joy. People without Christ don't know joy. People that avoid choosing to step into ministry don't know the kind of joy that you can know. People that want to stay away from suffering for the Lord miss joy. People who do ministry just for their own sake miss joy. Choose joy. Grow with me in that. Four demands of ministry quickly. To doing of ministry. To doings of ministry. Number one, doing ministry means making Christ fully known. Now that we kind of have some background on what ministry looks like, what, what it means, what it demands, now on the side of how do we do it, it's simply this. It's really simply this. Doing ministry means making Christ fully known. You can do that, right? And we can do that in different ways. We can do that to children. We can do that to adults. We can do that to people who don't know Christ. We do that with people who do know Christ. Making Christ fully known. If we wanted to expand on that a little bit, we can do that by pulling from verse 27. There's a statement in there that says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that statement. What is ministry? Ministry is this. Ministry is making Christ in you the hope of glory fully known. That's what it is. Think of that statement, uh, the hope of glory. Why do we need hope? Well, we need hope because of what we talked about last week, what Paul talked about, because of the gravity of our depravity. And because in our sin, we're totally depraved and, and, and we're, in bad, we're, we're on a bad news train wreck. We need hope. 
And the hope is the fact that Christ can be in you, redeeming you, forgiving you, fully made new in Christ. There's hope. And not only is there hope now, but there's hope for the future. That It's hope, the glory that's coming. I mean, the whole gospel is wrapped up right in there. That's what ministry is about. Making the hope of glory, Christ in you, fully known. More and more fully known. I want to read you, I want to bring this to a kind of a church level here. Um, I get a magazine called uh, Sport Aviation Nerd. Okay, kind of my one interest. And uh, this is a page out of it. And it's for uh, kind of more small pilot uh, flying. And I turn to this and the article in Sport Aviation put out by the EAA is called Read the Bible. That's the title of the article. And I'm like, dude, I, I got to read this. And, and I'm reading it and uh, uh, let's just listen. The author starts out, uh, Brady Lane. It says, when we first moved to Oshkosh, by the way, Oshkosh is like the center of all small aviation reality. Okay, if you haven't ever been there and know about that, it is. So when we first moved to Oshkosh, my wife and I were looking for a church, visiting congregation after congregation. We were amazed how many preachers could spend hours presenting their most random ideas. Some tried humor to entertain the congregation. Some told dramatic stories attempting to motivate. But few offered what we were looking for. Anybody can get in front of a crowd and say what he or she thinks. But just because a mere mortal thinks something doesn't make it so. It would be a scary world if that were the case. For this reason, most faiths have sacred texts. Listen to this. Unfortunately, not all religious leaders reference them as often as they should. And then he basically goes on and talks about how pilots need to go back to the foundations of what it's really all about. I'm reading this and he brings this in at times and it's like, I just want to say this at this point. Making Christ fully known means teaching this. And that's why already so far I've made mention about bring your Bible. And that's why we have those there for people who are newer, aren't used to bringing their Bible. Bring a Bible. If you're not, I'm convinced, if you're not opening a Bible on Sunday, you won't be opening it during the week. That's why I don't put the verses up on the screen 99% of the time. Because I want for you to have your eyes in a Bible. Your fingers on the pages or on the screen. That's what we want to have happen. We are a Bible-driven church here. And every Sunday, I just want for you to know, every Sunday we are proclaiming Christ in you by going to God's word, not my word. I mean, I'll bring in illustrations. Our other pastors, when they're teaching, will bring illustrations. That's fine, like I did with reading this. That's all fine and good. In small groups, we use other Bible-sourced materials for them, along with going through books in the Bible. That's fine and okay. But I just want for you to know, on Sundays, we're always in this thing. And we're not the kind of church where we read a verse, and then we go, now you can close it, and let me talk about whatever I want. That's what he was talking about. You don't want to hear from me, right? You don't tell me. You don't want to hear from me. <laughs> Some of you are kind of like, oh, "You're going to get mad at me." Hey, you don't. You want to hear from him. And my job is trying to work that so that we can bring the word of God out and in it. But I just want to, doing ministry means bringing this. Bringing this in a gracious, loving, proclaiming way. And I say that because that's what the text says. Look at it, verse 28. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And then look right after that. It says, defining that in two ways. By the way, word proclaim is not preach like what I'm doing in this genre here. The word in the Greek for proclaim means anybody having an encounter of teaching with other people. Okay? So it's beyond a formalized preacher kind of a thing. Him we proclaim, Jesus Christ we proclaim, which includes warning and teaching. 
The word warning means is nuthateo. I kind of think of a noose. Warning is like this. I need to tell you about some bad news. Okay, that's kind of the idea. Uh, sometimes we have to talk about bad news. Last week we talked about the gravity of depravity. I don't enjoy talking about it, but you have to know about it. Sometimes when we're working with our children or working with other people, we have to bring up some things that are hard news to hear, hard news to give, hard news maybe even to take. But by the way, it's not always warning. Parents, I, I, I do hope that you're not just a warning only parent. Because the text also says warning and teaching. Everyone. Warning and teaching. I don't want for you to walk out of here feeling like I stink, they stink, we all stink, let's just all die. I mean, that can be a warning-driven church. There's no hope of glory in that. But we are going to talk about the warnings. We will, and we do but we bring in the hope of glory that the scriptures bring to light in it all. But Doug, I just want the warm and fuzzy huggable parts of Jesus. But that's not who Jesus wants us to know only. Doug, I only want to give people the hell and fire and hell, fire and brimstone parts of Jesus. No, but that's not the only part Jesus wants them to know about him. We just focus on, you name the topic. Or I only want to talk about the parts of Jesus that are like really crank me up. Or I only talk about the topics uh, that I understand about Jesus. And we don't delve into the things that we don't understand. No, we we can do both. And by the way, I just want for you to... That's why I generally, probably 90% of the time, uh, we are going through a book of the Bible. Because sometimes I have to talk about things that I would actually prefer not to, but you can't get around it when it's there. And the whole counsel of God, that's just... Doing ministry, whether it's to children, adults, to your neighbor, to, to, to our world, it's making Christ fully known. Lastly, doing ministry means bringing everyone to maturity. Everyone to maturity. Everybody look at me for a second. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're in that place where you're trying just to figure this all out, I am thrilled you are here. I love the fact that you are here. I love people that ask questions. And and part of what we want to help you do, just straight up on the table, is we want to help you understand what the Bible has to say about Jesus. We want to minister to you. Our desire is that you would come to know Christ and receive him as your Savior. But know this, that's not the goal only. The goal is not just to bring people to Jesus Christ, but to mature people in Jesus Christ. We don't want to just have infants running around or preschoolers running around. We want to mature them into teenagers and into young adults, if you will, and spiritual adults. Because think of this, infants and preschoolers physically are not designed to be able to reproduce in themselves. They can't multiply. And it's the same thing with spiritual infants or preschoolers. The Lord wants his people to be maturing in in Christ, to become disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We are a Bible-driven, discipleship-driven ministry. We want to raise disciples and wherever you are at, whether you are not sure you're in Christ, whether you're an infant or a preschool or an elementary school or junior high or a high school or in college or a young adult or every one of you, we're working to grow all of us all together, vertical together. Okay, just so we know, right? More Lord, more of you, more of you. That's what this is all about. And with that, I end. No fancy story. No big pow. Just this. There is no greater delight than serving the Lord.
There's a lot of delights in life. And if you're in ministry, serving, ministering, and you're discouraged or feel alone or wondering if you can keep at it, I'm not telling you, just I'm not saying that's all what's going on in me. I'm just coming up with different things. Keep at it together. Together. I also want to say if if you're not serving in some kind of capacity, and I realize there are times where that happens. You're looking for a church or uh, you need a purposed break for a period of time. Totally get that. But that's not the, to be the norm. The norm is to be serving the Lord, reaching out to your neighbors, serving here among God's people. And I don't say that to call you into doing more things for us. I say that because the Lord has called all of us to be serving him together. Lord, um, thank you for the time. This has kind of been a, a bit of a personal time for me, a bit of a vulnerable time for me. I would pray that what we've just talked about would not be about me, but only about you. Lord, we are all weak and frail. None of us have it. And that's part of what helps keeps us face down in our doing of it. God, I thank you for this church family. Oh my word, Karen and I, and I know our pastors and wives feel so loved by this church family. They have been hard workers, laborers, delighting in you, serving in you, working long hours, cleaning snow, doing worship pass, uh, worship practice, doing tech teams, cleaning. The list goes on and on and on. And oh God, in that we rejoice. I would just pray more in me and more in us, Lord. More together in serving. Even more of what has been so beautiful and so continual and so marvelous. Just more of it, Lord. Uh, We need you. We need your strength. We need your encouragement. We need your endurance. Lord, I pray out of our hearts that we would just have that. We're here for you, Lord. We're here for you. As frail as we are, as as wimpy as I am, Lord, we're here. We need your help. We need your endurance. We need your strength. We need your joy. All for you. All for you, Lord. All for you. Precious name of Christ we pray, amen.